Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and this is Brian, and I am here today with uh, the well-known professor Craig Benson from the University of Virginia. He's got a very illustrious career, and it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So how are you today, Craig? I'm doing great. It's Friday afternoon, and the weekend's coming, so could be better. doesn't get much better than that. And <laughs> Here in Denver, Colorado, it is about 70 degrees, blue skies, and sunshine out there. Well, we're not quite at that uh, level of comfort, but Virginia, it's pretty comfortable, too. <laughs> well, this is unseasonably comfortable, so we're being spoiled, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll pay for it before too long. <laughs> but it's nice while it lasts. So, Craig, a lot of a lot of people are, are aware of you of, of what you do, the the work that you've put out, the talks that you've given. But why don't you give us a little bit of, about your background, uh, maybe up to when you went to college? Oh, okay. Well, I can I can tell you a little bit about my background because I think that fits in with kind of the career I've taken. You know, I I, I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, and uh, we were. Fortunate. Uh, when I was a child, my folks worked in an industrial community. My father worked for Bell Labs, and my mother was a psychotherapist. And we had another home up in the Pocono Mountains, and we used to go back and forth hmm. between between these two homes, and uh, which was in one is in an industrial, a wonderful area, but very much an industrial, vibrant, busy area, and the other is a, a really a rural, fantastically just beautiful environment and mm. when I, we would go between these two I would go past a zinc smelter uh, and it was stunning and, and this is you know probably 40 years ago now and it's yeah. and even more and yeah. still very much uh, in the front of my mind there was not a thing that was alive within a mile of that smelter mm. not a blade of grass not a tree yeah. it was just devoid of life mm. uh, and that stuck in my mind and one of the things that it, it was uh, clear to me is that we needed to have both worlds you, know, you had to have that economic and industrial world that provided good jobs and economy uh, that's the thing that provided our family the ability to do all kinds of things but we also needed to preserve the environment as well and I went to this beautiful place in the Poconos spent so much time there and we actually had to have people that were right in between those two that could uh, that could be gatekeepers that could preserve the economy but also protect the environment, and and that drove me into my in the field that I'm in today. I, I think about that a lot and and that experience as a child and and why I go about my business today. Uh, being an engineer who uh, is protects the environment through environmental engineering, but also someone who's very cognizant that we need to do that in a way that we can continue to have a vibrant economy and have businesses that thrive and my work has always been right at that interface and largely from that experience as a young person no that's uh that that's a really good backstory and it, it puts a lot of uh 
a, a lot of your emotions into your work and wanting to do things better. Yeah, do them better and uh, and actually satisfy both parts of the world that are important. So I, I went to Lehigh University for undergraduate, uh, got a civil engineering degree, and then I went to UT Austin and worked for David Daniel um, in my graduate oh. programs, MS and PhD. Of course, David's very well known. And this was in the, this emergence of the entire environmental industry at the time. You know, RECRA was new, CERCLA was new, we had all kinds of new regulations, and really no technology that we re had really developed and matured. And so being part of that whole evolution early in my career was very exciting. And I've spent essentially my entire career, a good part of it, working in so-called containment systems liners, covers, essentially designing things that allow us to isolate wastes, uh, separate them from both the groundwater environment below and the atmosphere above safely, safely and cost-effectively and sustainably. Um, and I spent my entire career doing that. I work in some other areas too, but a lot of it's been in that area of how do we safely contain waste to protect the environment and do it in a way that's cost-effective and sustainable. And we do that certainly as, uh, in the mining industry extensively. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the world hears about the black eyes that the mining industry gives to itself, but they seldom hear about the outstanding achievements that are accomplished. Yeah. Well, we all depend on mining, right? I'm sitting here talking to you through my wonderful macbook pro with its aluminum case right yeah uh and aluminum comes from bauxite right we, yeah we we mine bauxite we beneficiate it to create uh, aluminum metal that we make products out of so we and we rely on you know we have uh, uh electric vehicles now which require lithium and cobalt right we we, we will not have that sustainable infrastructure without mining uh, so mining is a big part of society because it provides the materials that allow us to drive all of the different parts of our economy and our environment. Uh, and, and we need to do it in a way that's responsible and protective of the environment in which people live, both the people at the mine and the people that live nearby. And I, I, th I think we do that really well today, uh, bringing to bear all that we've learned about containment systems natural systems and how we can essentially engineer around that in a, in a manner that's sustainable and protective. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. Yeah, that uh, I, I just interviewed a young lady who's got a very popular YouTube clip out now. It's a, it's a TEDx talk. Her oh, name, cool. Her name is Lucy Crane, and she she's a young geologist uh, working for a lithium company and she gave a very impressive talk so um, by the time this podcast comes out that conversation with Lucy will be out there but I'd really encourage everybody to, to watch that um, TEDx talk she does talk about you know for all this all the re renewable stuff we have to be mining other things for it and we can't recycle our way into a green future yeah we can recycle but you, you can't build wind farms out of cell phones you've got to get more yeah. it, it, it's, it'll be a big effort to accomplish what we need to do yeah yeah we can't do it all we, we'd like to with recycled materials but just with 
population growth and economic growth, it, it, there's, this isn't a mass balance that supports a, a completely circular economy right now. Right, and, right. Yeah, and so our uh, ability to uh, use natural resources to, for the benefit of society is really important. It's just all about how we do it, right? And, right, uh, right. And, you know, uh, mining fits in with recycling and all different components, and it's just all about whether we uh, do that in a manner that really supports the, the longevity of society and the healthiness of our communities. Uh, one of the projects I'm working on w with your company uh, and is in Blanding, Utah at a uranium mill uh, where they take uranium ore and they refine it to make uh, uranium oxide to use to make fuel for nuclear power. And nuclear, of course, nuclear power is a wonderful uh, uh, far less carbon intensive method to produce electricity, which is just fantastic. We use a lot of nuclear power in the U.S. and in Europe, parts of Asia. We don't perhaps talk about it as much as we used to, but it's a big part of our energy portfolio and particularly our, our low carbon footprint energy portfolio. But when you create, you refine uranium ore, you generate waste products, and we have to manage those safely in the in the geologic environment from which they originally came from, right? They came yeah. out of the ground, we put them back in the ground, and we put them back in, a in the ground in a vessel that will contain them safely, and that's analogous actually to the environment in which they originally were contained uh, in the natural system, and so at, at uh, in in Utah, we've designed containment systems which are entirely natural. We've got uh, refining waste that we bury, and we cap it with an entirely natural system that's been designed to mimic the natural environment. So we look at the natural environment, but we engineer a, a, uh, a containment system that essentially optimizes that natural environment to do what we need it to do, which in this case is to keep water out of the waste. Uh, and we're able to do that uh, and keep the, essentially the leakage rate to less than a millimeter per year, which wow. is remarkable. Yeah, remarkable. Yeah, very, yeah, very. Completely natural system. There's no plastic in it. Uh, there's, it's all natural materials. I will realize on plants and soils, the same things that are in the entire uh, surrounding area in Utah. We just optimized it to uh, essentially maximize the benefit of the hydrologic environment there for containment. That's a very sustainable system, right? It, it's protective, it, low carbon, and it will last in perpetuity. Yeah. And so that's the kind of things that we're trying to develop, long-lasting, sustainable, protective systems that in many ways mimic the natural environment around them. Well, that, that's terrific, and I, I know uh the conversation of nuclear energy changed a while back with Fukushima. Uh, just just prior to that, there was a real move to advance the uh, nuclear energy, um, but th that has to bounce back. There are plenty of safe operations. There's hundreds and hundreds of nuclear power plants in the world, and uh, oh yeah, you know that uh, those those accidents can be avoided. Yeah, the safety culture in nuclear energy is pretty remarkable too. Yeah, uh, 
Um, and it is. It's uh, it's part of the the low carbon portfolio. It's not carbon. It's not carbon free, but it is a low carbon energy source and uh, one that has which has an abundance. We have an abundance of that energy source for society for for centuries. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I just provide that largely as an example of the way that we can look at containing waste, whether they come from mining or some other. Uh, process, but to manage them in a, in a natural environment, that uh, using a natural process that's sustainable uh, and congruent with the environment allows us to achieve our environmental protection goal, but also allows us to achieve our sus environmental sustainability goal at the same time, and create something that really has very little to no maintenance forever, because you designed it to fit with nature as opposed to work against nature. Um, and we, you know, we do a lot of that as well in the uh, low-level radioactive and mixed waste business as well. You know, where we've got to contain uh, waste forms which have radionuclides in them that we really need to contain for at least a thousand years and probably ten thousand years. We need to design a containment system for that, which is highly effective, highly protective, and will last for ten thousand years. Uh, and that by mimicking nature, uh, we're able to do that. We design natural systems that take advantage of the uh, natural processes that nature has developed, and we use them to our advantage. And there's examples in actually in Utah, a really great example um, in that I shouldn't say in Utah, but in the what you might call the Colorado Plateau. Mm. Monticello, Utah, uranium uh, mill tailings disposal facility is a great example of that. The one up in Cheney, Colorado as well, highly protective and also very natural systems. And, uh, and we've done that at other types of facilities as well. Oh, terrific. Now, it uh, sounds like the way a lot of facilities should be designed um, going forward. Yeah. When we can, that's the way we want to do it. Yeah. It'll work in all environments, but, but right. when we can, that's what we want to do. Yeah. And, and from a, uh, just from an owner's point of view, it's beneficial as well because it usually has lower cost. Not always on the front end, but when you start looking at life cycle cost, uh, the cost tends to be uh, significantly lower. That's beneficial for everybody, right? That means we're putting our revenue to work in better ways that uh, create uh, you know, better value for both the owner, but also for the employees and the community and uh, in, in which a plant is located. Yeah, yeah. So is there any uh, particular achievement, a project like that, that really stands out in your career that you could share with us? Well, I think that that technology I talked about, which we call water balance covers, which yeah. are essentially these systems where we contain waste with a natural hy uh, hydrologic um, environment. I'm really proud of that. We yeah. started working on this, uh, hard to believe, in 1992. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> early, I was in my 20s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I had an early project with National Science Foundation and waste management uh, about looking at this technology and seeing whether we could make it work. And I was fortunate to meet uh, Bill Albright of Desert Research Institute in mm. the late 90s. We had a seminal meeting in, in Jackson Hole, 1997, with Department of Energy and a whole series of other people. 
And from that uh, meeting, we talked about the need to really build the technology around developing these natural containment systems that are both effective and sustainable. And uh, Bill and I and a number of other folks uh, developed the Alternative Cover Assessment Program, which yeah. was a, a program that US EPA sponsored, but DOE, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, I think the Navy was involved at one point, and a number of uh, private industry uh, uh, investments as well. But over 20 years, we developed all the technology that's used in that design, construction, demonstration, performance uh, evaluation. All the technologies that's used globally in that area, we, were, we developed over a 20-year period. And today, you can go around the world and see covers like that all in, in Australia, Southern Europe, uh, parts of Africa, throughout the Western United States, throughout Western Canada, they're used everywhere. Uh, and I'm particularly proud of that because not only we create something that works well, we create something that's congruent with the environment, sustainable. So when you, when you began that work in your 20s, did it feel like you were doing something that was going to change the way the world works? I wish I could say yeah. I had that much yeah. foresight. Yeah. That, but, you know, in the in the 20s, uh, I was just excited to have a project and get started with my career. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't going too many steps out. But, it, you know, as you look back on it, um, what drives you to continue to work on these things is the value that they create, right? And uh, so I, I was very clear to me in the late 90s, I mean, this was both an opportunity to continue to develop something we're working on, but it was important. Um, it was clear to, we had all these government agencies who also saw this as important. Uh, and we were doing, uh, we were going to go down a path that was going to have an impact on the industry and, and society more broadly you know, over a couple of decades. And it has. Very proud of that. Um, yeah. You know, an another area which we work in too, um, in containment systems, it's, it's different. But there's a lot of uh, really high strength materials, uh, high, really either very caustic materials, very acidic materials, uh, high ionic strength liquids that are really difficult to manage in the environment. And historically, had really created a lot of environmental damage when they weren't contained properly. You know, that's another thing I'm really proud of. We've developed, developed bentonite polymer barrier systems that are used around the world. You know, um, bauxite liquor containment facilities at aluminum refining plants, most of them in the globe use a technology based on the bentonite polymer composite materials we develop with different industrial partners. Mm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is Protecting cool. groundwater water resources at those plants for the communities around them. They're used extensively for coal ash systems today. We know mm. coal ashes are difficult to contain with some of our conventional barrier materials because they tend to have a lot of briny uh, residues around the particles that generate leachate with high ionic strength or mm. very alkaline pH. 
you know, these uh, bentonite polymer materials uh, work wonderfully with them. Um, and uh, they, uh, what's interesting about them is that they all kind of started from an accident in the lab. You know, we had, we were going to we had this fancy science project with National Science Foundation and hypothesis was completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but we were doing these experiments and they're like, wow, what is going on here? This is not what we expected at all. I said, wow, that is something we can really create a new product yeah. with yeah. that will serve our industry in wonderful ways. Uh, so really proud of that too. But it, in the end, it's about it, we're creating something that works well and protects the environment and, and it's cost effective too. You know, some, and I, that's also been a big part of my work is that we just can't be an environmental advocate. We need to be uh, an environmental pragmatist that we have to protect the environment but we also need to do it in a way uh, that allows the industries that we all rely on to thrive. You know, and we can. We can do both. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. No, I I agree. And it, uh, I guess maybe the world used to be a bigger place back when the, that smelter you drove past was <laughs> in operation. But yeah, we're, we're, we're all living in too tight of quarters to, to uh, have things like that in our our neighborhood yeah yeah and there was a time when that those things happened and we didn't really understand the consequences of what we do now and it's really our responsibility to make sure that we you know, operate our our uh, industries and the like in a manner that's uh, uh, protect the environment of communities yeah and, and I see that everywhere you know another uh, industry I work with extensively is the uh, phosphate mining industry in mm. southeast Idaho and, yeah oh yeah yeah our, our whole country depends on that industry they develop the products that go into agriculture that uh, allow us to have high yields in our agricultural uh, production allow us to uh, uh, grow crops that we can only have imagined to grow um, the um, uh, and one of the challenges in the phosphate industry is a lot of the phosphate ore is also in host rock that's got a lot of selenium associated with it so yeah. when we bring phosphate up to the ground and we bring waste rock up around it that's got selenium that selenium oxidizes and becomes mobile and of course selenium in water is, is not healthy uh, and so if we're going to mine phosphate, we need to be able to contain that ore in a safe in, uh, a containment system, essentially for, for millennia. Uh, and so we've designed cover systems uh, up at 8,000 feet in southeast Idaho uh, that are highly protective of, of groundwater resources that allow just just traces of water to migrate into the uh, into the underlying selenoferous uh, waste rock. We've uh, and we will have a snowpack that will be three meters tall, and we'll have just a couple <laughs> yeah. meters, couple millimeters of water get through the system. Remarkable. Oh, oh that is yeah, 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 remarkable. Uh, and uh, but again, that's about how do we create something that protects the environment. Uh, but also is 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 going to last for many many years, and gonna, we're going to do it in a way that's reasonably reasonably uh, economic. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and as close as a walk away solution as you can achieve. 
That's right. And, you know, we've done that very effectively in southeast Idaho. Um, and that, uh, what's really interesting about that uh, experience, it's been really collaborative. It's We have regulators, community, industry, academics, all working together around how to create solutions to this problem so that allows the mining industry to thrive, the communities to feel good that their groundwater is protected. And to be honest with you, we've learned all kinds of interesting things as academics about uh, processes in the environment we didn't understand before. So what what a win-win for all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's terrific. And you and I might have almost crossed paths in uh, southeast Idaho because I did a little bit of due diligence there a while back for some of the exact selenium issues that you were talking about. Yeah, we probably but, probably did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Well, I think the things that we can all feel good about as environmental engineers, and I'm a, I'm a geotechnical engineer, a geological engineer, an environmental engineer. I'm, I'm, one of, I'm each of those and, and none of them at the same time. I'm somewhere yeah. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in our field, the people going into this field, and there's lots of them. And make really important contributions and uh, uh, both protecting the environment and allowing industry to thrive and and society you know puts a high pr a premium on that uh, we depend on essentially an army of technical people in the background to make sure that happens yeah to make sure our environment is safe uh, to make sure that our industries thrive and most people don't even have to worry about it. It's just happening in the background. And I tell you, I couldn't be more happy to be part of an industry that has that level of responsibility to society. Uh, and I feel great about that. And I think we've done really good things um, to support it over the years. You know, that kind of reminds me of when Steve Jobs took out of his pocket the very first iPod, and he was explaining <laughs> it. And of course, there was a lot more than just the Apple company that went into the iPod because they had to have all the minerals in there that were mined from somewhere. You know, so there was miners, there was engineers, there was uh, a lot of other things developed in into the iPhone. So it was, uh, you know, it was interesting. I, I, so I have a question for you. I know that you've received a lot of awards, and I'm very curious about one that you got from the ASCE, it's the Alfred P. Nobel Prize. You asked about the uh, Alfred Nobel Prize from American Society of Civil Engineers. We've been very fortunate uh, to receive a number of awards from ASC over the years, which are really around scholarship, around publications that we created. Uh, that essentially were seminal in nature that changed the way we think about engineering practice or engineering design. Um, and we've been fortunate to win a number of those awards over the years. I, I would argue though the, the one thing I'm most proud of in awards is being a member of the National Academy of Engineering. Um, it's the, the National Academy is the nation's service organization for engineering and technology serving the public and the government. Uh, with uh, 
a high level of expertise in a broad range of engineering and technology fields. Um, to me, that that that's the most important recognition in my career, and the one that I keep giving back to uh, uh, through my service to to the nation. Oh, that's fantastic, and I, I know that is a, a service that you provide, and, and it's interesting because it's not like you can apply to enter into the National Academy of Engineering. Your peers have to select you, and there there is no like online application process. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually very secretive yeah. uh, process, uh, yeah. but you are... are um, elected by other academy members uh, to join uh, because of the things that you've accomplished. Uh, but not only about the things you've accomplished technically, but it's about leadership, but also a commitment to uh, engineering and technology for the betterment of the nation. And that, that sometimes I think that gets a little lost about why, why we have the academy, but it's largely about service. And to me, that uh, my service in the National Academy is one of the things I'm most proud of. And and maybe you could describe uh, being a member in that. So are, are you on occasion given a project to solve by the Academy or? The, the Academy does a lot of different things, um, but um, things that it does frequently is provide, uh, uh, conducts a series of studies. Uh, that will create reports that provide guidance to government agencies. For example, I participate. Uh, I, I recently participated in an academy study about plutonium disposition at the waste isolation uh, pilot plant. Mm. Uh, and the uh, the academies took on that uh, that uh, review role and provided it uh, to the nation to provide good sound. Uh, review commentary on that proposal, that ability to be able to do that kind of work for the nation. Um, we um, also, one of the other things that we do for the nation is provide forums where we can look at where the frontiers of technology are going so that we can invest as a nation in technologies that's going to support our growth and our, our quality of life in the future. So we have uh, typically, have uh, regional meetings each year. We held one at UVA last year on cyber physical systems, which is Internet of Things, mm. which is probably one of the most important technological growth areas for our society for the next two decades. Yeah, uh, our ability to control and automate to bring the connection between human and computer in a way that allows us to do things we could have only dreamed about. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. No, I, I've always been curious about the academy, so that goes a long way in explaining. So it's it's sometimes a uh, independent think tank on the behalf of uh, government agencies. Yep, that's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. And Craig, I just have one last question for you that I try to ask all of my guests, and and that is, what do you think about space mining, whether it's asteroids or the moon or, or elsewhere. What do you what do you think about that? Well, at some point, if our population keeps growing and our economy keeps growing, uh, we're going to have to look somewhere else um, because it, it, we do have a fixed amount of mass. Now, whether we can do that sustainably, hard to tell. You know, it takes a lot of energy to move something to another. Uh, another planet and to return it. So whether we'll be able to do that in a way that actually 
is congruent with a sustainable society is hard to tell. Yeah. Um, but it sure is fascinating. Just imagine being able to do that. Um, it's fascinating. It is, and there's a lot of the most intelligent and uh, you know out there people that are working on this this kind of thing. So it's uh, I'm sure it'll happen. Maybe not in our generation, but in some future generation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When the demand is high enough, it will be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Craig, did um, I, I? I was out of questions and. I appreciate you spending some time with us today and, and sharing some of your knowledge with the listeners. And I hope to be in contact with you again soon, some one of these days. Okay. Well, I really look forward to hearing how this podcast turns out, and I look forward to seeing you again. Okay. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll see you. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.